CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV and on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jen Sinassi. We got Will Foxley and Anna Vodakova on the show today. And it looks like we are celebrating Christmas in July. We're just all wearing green and red. I love, I this love is a pink. good. This pink? is pink. Oh my it's gosh. A... I, I don't know if I'm going colorblind or what. I don't know. I don't know. I just look well, so different got, on the camera. Got Will Foxley and a, and a salmon. Hmm. We don't only talk about outfits on this show. We bring you the top crypto news headlines and SBF. It was in the headlines again this morning. Will, take it away. We got two headlines with SBF, so stick with us. The first, uh, the Department of Justice is looking to end SBF's time in his parents' basement and put him to jail because he might be tampering with witnesses. That's according to allegations from the Department of Justice, which is seeking right now for SBF to be put in jail until his trial in October. Uh, the second headline we have for you is that uh, FTX will not be, or Sam Bakerman Freed rather, will not be charged for campaign finance charges after the extradition from the Bahamas. If you remember, he was extradited from the Bahamas uh, and there was like five original accounts. And then later, the Department of Justice brought up multiple others. But according to extradition treaties, can't do that. Can't just be slapping on more uh, things you're going to charge someone with. And so they're going to have to pull those back after an agreement with the Bahamas. So two fresh SBF headlines this morning. The first one's pretty interesting, tampering with witnesses. Some thoughts on that. He's had over 500 different calls uh, with uh, Michael Lewis, who's writing a book on him, and then 100 different calls with a New York Times reporter that actually released a story relating to his former girlfriend. Caroline Ellison, which is sort of revolving around this whole uh, recent news with the Department of Justice. Can I throw this one back to you, Jen? Former girlfriend and former CEO of Alameda Research, those diary entries leaked on the New York Times. Uh, she was saying, you know, she didn't feel fit to be in the position that she was in. She also spoke about um, some of the inner drama that was going on between the two companies. One of my takeaways from this is don't write your innermost thoughts on a Google document. Very surprised to see tech savvy people writing things like this on Google documents that can be accessible by uh, many. But I think this is Sam Eggman fried again, trying, desperately trying to control the narrative, I must say, allegedly, because 
his defense, I believe, is saying that he did not leak these diary entries to the New York Times. And I'm surprised that it's continuing on. I, every time I talk about the story, I have to bring up that Sam Bankman-Fried is living with his parents and both of his parents are lawyers. And we just see these very, very surprising actions come from him time and time again. He hasn't been jailed yet. So the timeline here is a quick one. I believe the DOJ has until Friday to make a formal written submission in this request to have him jailed until his trial. The defense can respond until Tuesday. And then by the end of next week, we'll have a final response. It would be an interesting turn of events to see him move from his parents' house to a prison until that October trial. Anna, what do you think? Well, uh... I was appalled when by the story of, of the diary published. Yeah, regardless who uses what for diaries, uh, if the allegations of the DOJ that it was Sam Bankman-Fried who leaked Caroline Ellison's diary to, to the press, if that's true, I think it's absolutely damning. As a woman, I would uh, want my, uh, my ex-boyfriend jailed uh, for that. But that's beyond the point. Here. So yeah, I guess it's just a continuation of uh, uh, of this uh, story of uh, SBF being the main bad boy of crypto. Yeah, it would definitely be a new development. So just to fact check, Dan, he has been in j- jail once, right? He in the Bahamas, he was that's first true. in jail, but he's not been in Back U.S. prison, right? Jail. So you're you're correct. They're awaiting news on that. The uh, prosecutors and the judges have a few days to go through all this. The defendants are also looking at it. For right now, it looks like there is some sort of uh, tape, for lack of a better word, over SPF's mouth. He's not able to speak to anyone. In the meantime, they're looking at possibly extending that further by placing him in prison. He has his first set of going to court in October and then follow up in March as well on some different allegations. Some big news there. I want to go over to the extradition treaty. This is sort of an interesting thing, I think, in terms of crypto. The fact that we have borderless money, but that doesn't mean that the law is necessarily borderless. The U.S. was going after SBF for a lot of different things, right? From securities violations to wire transfer, uh, and then even the things that they just dropped were dealing with campaign finance laws, right? Where SBF and a lot of his executives gave a ton of money to different politicians, and they broke campaign finance laws by not only using money that was essentially taken from customers, but also, I believe, by just like giving too much money to certain candidates. Those allegations are being dropped right now by the Department of Justice. And that's because of the extradition treaty. So back when he was first extradited to the, the United States, or extradited to the United States, he was only charged with about five different violations, uh, including like wire fraud and securities fraud. And the other allegations and uh, points were brought against him afterwards, after he's brought back to the United States. But because of his extradition treaty, they had to drop a bunch of these. I've already seen some people on Twitter talking about this, saying that like this isn't fair. He should be you know, prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But I think it's just fair to point out like there's extradition treaties for a reason. These things exist, and no matter what, you have to abide by them. That's just how it works. So that is why those different points are being dropped. Jen, yeah, I think your your point is fair there. Uh, the the law exists for a reason, and they are operating within the law. That is not to say that there are not several very damning charges that Sam Bankman-Fried is still facing. And so this this campaign finance charge is not the only one, right? So he's still facing many, many years behind bars if um, indicted. But let's let's move on. Let's talk about a bill that almost was another bump in the road as House lawmakers have failed 
to reach a bipartisan deal on stable coins legislation. Financial Services Committee Chair Patrick McHenry blames the White House, while the panel's top Democrat said it was McHenry himself who shut down talks. The news comes a day after three bills were advanced on crypto issues to a vote in the full House of Representatives. Let's take a listen to what McHenry had to say at the House Financial Services Committee today. Unfortunately, there was a third party in this negotiations that not, did not share that same sense of urgency, the White House. A bipartisan deal was within reach. We were closer than we've ever been. A few small but nonetheless important provisions stood between us and a deal. And I'm going to toss this one off to you. What do you make of these remarks? You know, we have McHenry saying the White House jumped in. If the Democrats saying it was actually McHenry, the fact of the matter is we still don't have any clear regulation in the U.S. when it comes to stable coins. What do you think of this stalemate? Unfortunately, I don't have much insight on what happens in the cores of Congress uh, or White House. But from this piece we're talking about, it seems to me there is no actual consensus between Democrats and Republicans on that bill, given the uh, critique by Maxine Waters for the bill. The bill was deeply problematic and bad for America. Like that doesn't sound for me that the consensus was that the deal was within reach when, when somebody's it doesn't like the bill so much. So maybe there is uh, still a lot of ground to cover in Congress for Democrats and Republicans to agree what this um, future legislation should be like. Yeah, I mean, this is like Fox News or CNN comes to crypto right now. We have a back and forth on Capitol Hill. And this is only going to be happening more and more in the near future. Why? Because stablecoins, Bitcoin, mining, all these things are becoming more and more important to the general populace. I mean, we had that poll from a few years ago showing about 17% of American citizens own Bitcoin. And then a decent amount of people are also owning other assets besides Bitcoin, right, which have even further legal concerns around them. For instance, staking. Is staking a security or not? It's a hot topic. Stablecoins as well are a hot topic. The reason being is... You know, allows for permissionless transfer of money so easily across borders. And national governments are going to have an interest in that, especially the central banks around this. We talked last week about FedNow, essentially a means for banks to move money between each other very quickly new, through new infrastructure from the Federal Reserve. Stablecoins are competitor to that. And they're also outside of that system, right? And so we're going to see the Fed... Congress, a lot of the other these uh, administrative bodies become interested in talking about these subjects. It's not going to be dealt with in a day. Uh, this legislation was moved forward by McHenry only last week. It looks like it's a fresh push. I wouldn't expect this to move forward in any meaningful sense for quite a while, possibly even years, based on how a lot of things take a lot of time to move through Capitol Hill. Um, there's going to be a lot of considerations about how do we redefine what it means to be a dollar in the wake of what tokenization has brought. Just the fact that you need all these licensing regimes within the United States, like every state, you have to go get some sort of money transfer license, then you have to go on the federal level, then you have to go talk to all these banks. Pretty messy system, but that's from the traditional financial system where probably only one to operate in one state if you're a bank, maybe a few. And so it was okay that way. But now tokenization, hey, I want to be able to operate every single bank and or I want to operate in every single state. And maybe even more than that, I want to operate in every single country. This is going to take quite a while. I think we're just seeing the first shots. There's going to be back and forth for quite a while. It's not super surprising to me, Jen. Yeah, there was response in the article to the comments that Anna, you brought up from Maxine Waters. McHenry said, this will not be the case. It was the White House's unwillingness to compromise that has once again 
brought this negotiation to a halt. When I read this story, Will, I also thought about FedNow, you know, solving a lot of the problems that stable coins can solve when it comes to settling payments, especially payments across borders. Um, I think it's interesting to see this debate happening at the and the level at which the debate is happening if we compare it to other jurisdictions. Of course, we have the MECA regulation that's set to take place in the EU in 2024, and stablecoins kind of fall under that. We have countries um, in Asia that are looking at regulating stablecoins, and here it feels like we can't even get on the same page. I think this is just, um, you know, another Another note in the book that shows that the U.S. is behind other jurisdictions when it comes to regulating crypto and we continue to become more and more behind. So hopefully, hopefully we can get a few wins in the book so we don't push companies to start looking at other areas to operate in. But let's leave it there. It's Mining Week at Coindesk, and that is presented by Foundry. Although the Bitcoin halving will reduce rewards for miners, the prospects for the industry remain pretty bright. Coindesk and Foundry are both owned by DCG. Joining us on the hash now to discuss is the CEO of web infrastructure solutions provider, Oradine Rajiv Kimani. Welcome to the show, Rajiv. Thank you, Jen. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So your company just launched a new line of U.S. crafted Bitcoin mining rigs. Tell us about the rigs. What's so special about them? Yeah. Uh, well, we just did this announcement this week. Uh, we are a young company based in Silicon Valley. And uh, when we started this company, we wanted to focus on the future of the infrastructure with Bitcoin being the leading uh, blockchain in the world. Uh, we saw a few, a few challenges that the mining industry was facing. One, as we all know, there's a debate on energy usage of Bitcoin. And secondarily, about, while about 35 to 40 percent of Bitcoin mining happens in the United States, almost all of the ASICs come from China. And as you know, that presents certain geopolitical supply chain risks and so forth. And so what we said is, let's build a product from the ground up. So we build an ASIC in four nanometer technology, which is the most advanced chip technology in the world today. Um, and uh, that was necessary to bring the energy consumption down. Uh, but what we also did is, in addition to this, we put together a system and software solutions and some really innovative technology that we call Energy Tune that allows for rapid demand response uh, for the miners. And we unveil these uh, products and technologies with products made in the United States this week. Awesome. Thank you again for coming on the show. I'm curious to know a little bit more about how you see blockchain privacy and AI fitting into what you guys are currently doing. Uh, specifically as it relates to Marathon Digital. Uh, are you guys have been working with Marathon Digital on some of these Miami machines? I, I know Fred Thiel's the CEO of Marathon Digital, also on your guys' board. How do you guys see all these different parts working together? Yes. So, well, first of all, uh, we are working with Marathon. We are working with a variety of leading U.S. Uh, mining providers. And we did actually work very closely with Marathon as well as with some of the other guys uh, to put together a product that we felt would meet their needs. Uh, the op product can operate in harsh environments, can operate close to uh, natural gas flaring sites, can operate close to solar infrastructure, you know, where there's uh, maybe the temperatures are too hot. And so we wanted to make sure that we delivered a product that delivered much better uptime along with very rapid uh, demand response. Now, in terms of uh, your question about AI and privacy, we think th these are linked. They are all uh, future technologies that have tremendous 
infrastructure challenges, cost, power uh, is very important for all of these things. What's happening is that data, uh, Bitcoin uh, mining data center operators also want to build AI data centers in terms of uh, you know, providing generative AI technologies at the edge. They have technologies like immersion, cooling, and so forth that are applicable to AI applications as well. And in terms of uh, privacy, we're, we're still early. Uh, we haven't announced a product yet, but we are working on some innovative zero-knowledge proof-based technologies that are very complementary to both of these things. And, uh, you know, we'll announce all of these things as we uh, get closer to market over the next uh, uh, few quarters. And you mentioned uh, this uh, technology you use, Energy Tune, that allows the miners to respond to the demand response needs of the electrical grid. Can you talk a little bit in, in detail how that works? Yes. So what we do is that, you know, these miners uh, traditionally operate at a single hash rate and a sing single energy consumption point. Uh, but what happens is that uh, when the electric supplier wants uh, the miners to reduce the usage of energy, typically the miners have a challenge right now. So they can either turn it on or turn it off. Uh, but sometimes the energy provider says bring, out, bring down the energy by 20% or some arbitrary percentage that is needed by the consumer at that point in time. And so with Energy Tune, we provide the miners extreme, uh, very fine granular uh, ability to bring the energy up or down as is aligned uh, by the energy provider's requirements. In addition, as we all know, Bitcoin had this spurt of transaction fees with the ordinals. And so sometimes you want to hash at higher data rates, at higher hashing rates, to capture those transaction fees. So with this energy tune capability, they can move it up and down. We also have an interesting capability called auto-tune, where the miner can automatically tune or through API calls uh, very uh, rapidly go up and down and do that while operating in harsh conditions. So the miner boots up sub-zero temperatures and keeps operating at 50 degrees C ambient temperatures. As we see in certain parts of the world, there's a very hot climate. So our goal is to make sure that we provide the best product to the miners for becoming responsible partners to the energy ecosystem. Rajiv, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. That was CEO of Ordine, Rajiv K. Mani. All right, Anna, you got our last story and it features Will Foxley. Take it away. Yeah, and it's also about mining. It's about how you can mine Bitcoin at home, which, you know, might, might even not even sound probable uh, in, in the current environment. It's now all about big industrial miners, like huge venues with thousands of mining machines because uh, Bitcoin mining is so energy and requires the expensive machines. But some people, including our very own Will, still, uh, still want to do it at home. I talked to some people, some enthusiasts like him, about uh, why, why are they doing this? How, how are they doing it? Is that profitable? Is that expensive? Uh, to uh, roll out something like, uh, like Will showed us in this video. So, Will, why don't you tell why are you excited about that Just despite all the odds, despite all the challenges of home mining, why you still want to do that? Yeah, home mining is definitely a challenge and uh, we're enjoying my great film work here with my iPhone. So, hope you're not getting nauseous from, from viewing it. <laughs> home mining is basically a way to get 
Bitcoin in a non-custodial decentralized fashion, right? Typically, people go and buy Bitcoin. They buy Cash App or Coinbase, or maybe they even go as far as ordering it on something like BISC, which is more privacy focused. But there's a way of getting Bitcoin nowadays still that is permissionless and it's more privacy focused. So I just plug in a computer into the Bitcoin network and I start beaming Bitcoin myself just in exchange for energy. It's really what it is, energy for money in this instance. Now, like home mining is not very profitable and for most people probably never would be profitable. But the idea is like maybe this Bitcoin is worth more in the future. So I do become profitable over like a five to 10 year span if I can hold that Bitcoin. And then secondarily, I think that I, I do want some Bitcoin that hasn't been touched by anybody else. It just goes directly from the Bitcoin network to my wallet and no one's really aware of it. It's just sitting there by myself. And so that's part of the reason why I did it. The third reason is just kind of fun, right? There's not a lot of tangible stuff in Bitcoin. Like, yes, there's like NFTs on your phone and maybe you can run like a, a validator on your computer at home. But besides that, like most of Bitcoin is very intangible. And I think that's actually a key deterrent from a lot of people getting into Bitcoin. They want some like physical like cash. I always hear that like, well, can I hold a Bitcoin? It's like, no, you can't. But with mining, you can interact with it, right? You can go to a Bitcoin mining farm. You can feel the heat on your face from these fans. You can see like the machines themselves whirling around. In home mining, you have the opportunity to like really get into the weeds of Bitcoin and learn how it all works. So that's why I took it up for myself and lost a little bit of money along the way. I wonder what you think, Jen. I was just going to say, reading the article, it felt like, Will, you were a glutton for punishment. You weren't making any money. These machines are turning off on you. You had to like continuously maintain. It sounded like a lot of maintenance, but you make, you make a good argument there. I wonder what advice you have like for people like me. Should I? Could I? Should I have an at-home minor? Or is it just too much of a headache? So there are like options for doing it. So if you take an older generation miner like an S9, you can probably plug it into most outlets. I'm not sure in Canada. Pretty sure you'd be okay with this. But if you're in Europe or somewhere else, you might have a hard time getting like the correct plug. And those are just going to like a standard home wall outlet. Your energy bill is definitely going to go up. It's not a very efficient machine, but you'll get some Satoshis and you know they'll be private and they'll be your own. No one else has touched them. They haven't been on an exchange. If you're going to go like a little bit more hardcore like I did, you're going to be spending a weekend or two designing and building a box, making sure it's like watertight, it's quiet, it's private. I mean, it just kind of looks like a utility shed on the side of a house, right? And then to get like the electrical work and all that done for these next generation machines requires bringing out an electrician because it can be a little bit dangerous and then buying a machine. So it's a little bit of work, but I don't know. I, I enjoy Bitcoin. I want to be a part of it. I want to get my hands all dirty. So that's why I did this. Maybe you could too. All right, Will, I'm going to hit you up offline, get some instructions, and maybe I'll start mining my own Bitcoin. What a what a fun little takeaway from today's show. You can read Anna's full story on Coindesk.com as part of Mining Week. Thanks for joining the hash today. I'm Jen Sinassi. We had Will Foxley and Anna Badakova here. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 